Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Here we are back again for yet another rich conversation on the Higher Purpose Podcast. Let me welcome you to today's episode. It's number 136, and I'm really glad you are choosing to join us today. Thank you. I hope you know that you are a vital part of this community and this conversation. And I hope you know that you matter and you belong. If you're listening in real time or you're following along sequentially, you know that the last four conversations all explored the topic of love, specifically love at work. And I hope you enjoyed those conversations. Well, surprise, we have yet another one. And this one found us. We didn't go looking for it and the timing was perfect to include it now. Today's guest, is Moshe Engelberg, who has a new book out called The Amare Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work. There's more to say and share about how this conversation came to be, and I'll invite Moshe to do that in just a moment. Let's get to it. What a joy to welcome you, Moshe Engelberg, to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Thanks for joining me in this conversation. I'm so happy to be here with you, Kevin. Really appreciate the invitation. Well, and I'm delighted to have you here. And I would say that Serendipity is the unofficial sponsor of today's <laughs> podcast. And I'm going to ask you to explain that. Yes, love it. Love it. Well, you and I met very recently, a few weeks ago, through a woman, a mutual colleague and friend named Debbie Wachusa. Debbie is someone I worked with maybe 15, 20 years ago, and she was an account executive in that agency, and I had my consulting firm, Research Works, and we were collaborating on a project. We did some work then, didn't talk for another 10 or 15 years, got together, and then it's been several years since we've connected, and yet somehow in her conversations with you, and she described how you and she connected somewhat serendipitously through LinkedIn, can be your another unofficial sponsor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she and you were collaborating on a project. I guess that's the inspiration challenge that's happening right now. Right now. Yeah, yeah. And she said to you, Kevin, you and Moshe need to talk. And we had a 30-minute conversation that ended up being about an hour and a half. That was awesome. <laughs> and we're finding that we're on the same path along with a lot of other people who are in your community and who are guests on the podcast. So it's incredible. That serendipity at work. That's right. And that's why I just wanted to invite you to share that. It is beautiful. Debbie and I were in a planning conversation about the Get Inspired Challenge is what we actually called it. And she just said, I just saw that Moshe wrote a book and I think you two should meet. And we met that day, right? There was this instant connection. And I love when that happens. So the book you've written, which I have here in my hand, The Amare Wave, Uplifting Business by Putting Love to Work, I'm glad to say that your book passes the Higher Purpose Podcast test, which I explained to you. You listening, you know there's a twofold test. I will not speak to an author on this podcast about their book unless I have read their book 
and would also recommend you read their book. So Moshe's book meets that test. But then I said this in the intro that this is the fifth, a bonus conversation about love. I reached out to Moshe and said, Moshe, are you willing to have a different kind of conversation? We can't start at square one and just kind of walk us through your book. So I ask, will you join me to do a deeper dive on some of the meatier and juicier parts of the book? Because this audience doesn't need to be sold on the benefits of Amare, to which you said, yes, yes. Okay, so that's what's coming, folks. But before we do that, I want to start this conversation where we start every conversation here on the podcast, grounding it in gratitude. So, Moshe, what's something you're grateful for in this moment? Hmm. I am grateful for being able to take in a question like that, sit with it, and to be able to give an honest answer, whatever it is. Yeah, that process of not knowing what I'm going to say. So my answer is the unknowing and being willing to go there. Okay. So this is an audio podcast. You listening, you know it's audio, but you know I usually record via Zoom. So I watched, and the moment I asked that, Moshe closed his eyes and really did just entertain that unknowing and that in the moment. So. We're going to have a lot of that, I believe, in this conversation. <laughs> yes. Is there something that you think we need to know about you that creates the background, the backdrop, context for this conversation? Not just your book, but the conversation about your book and why you felt compelled to write this book at this point in time? Hmm. Yes, I appreciate that question. There are several things that converge that led me to write this book. And I must say, it's more accurate to say this book wrote me mm. than I wrote this book, at least on good days. When it was flowing, I would be reading what would be coming through me and thinking, wow, wherever that came from, I like it. And other days when I was trying to force it and oh my God, this just is not happening. So on good days, the book wrote me and I was fortunate to have a fair number of them. What drove me to write this book, I mentioned the convergence of different forces. One was a particular conversation I had with a longtime client, really smart guy, a senior product manager at a, a large technology company. And he was saying, Moshe, you know, we hate our customers. And he said it without drama and without exaggeration. And I knew it to be true from the work we were doing together. And yet the curse, if you will, was they still made money. But the relationship between them and their customers who were actually distributors, so the middleman, so to speak, was very uncomfortable, was full of disdain. It was, we don't really want you. And others said, we don't want you. And, but they were kind of a necessary evil. And that led to a situation where people who worked there didn't bring in their best. Their motivation was severely compromised. And a lot of them kind of were just phoning it in and showing up doing the work. And that suffering and that unhappiness really stood out. It's like, well, we're going into work. We need to check our hearts and souls at the door, that kind of thing. So that was one piece. And realizing, Kevin, that while that language of saying we hate our customers might be extreme, 
And in their case, it was accurate, unfortunately. But I realize there's a lot of organizations where there's a dislike of customers. Like another guy, a really smart guy, he was saying, this would be so much easier if, if we just didn't have to deal with customers. <laughs> I thought about that. He said, this is so bizarre. And I reflected, I had the same experience as a consultant. We've had a lot of great clients and some difficult ones. And we would talk behind the scenes that we should charge a PITA tax, P-I-T-A, a pain in the ass tax on these clients. And it wasn't kind. And then I shifted to, well, if I feel that way about them, I'm not going to work with them. Just not worth it. So there was that kind of disdain for a customer's mentality that was not uncommon in business. The second part was the language of business. When I was finishing grad school, I was wrapping up my PhD program and considering, do I want to go an academic path? Do I want my career to go on a consulting path? And looking into big firms like McKinsey, Boston Consulting, and so on. And at the time, this was a few years ago, the language they used to describe people they hire was, we hire hunters and skinners. Hunters bring in the kill, skinners do the work. Mm-hmm. And even then, in my late 20s, I thought, that's really bizarre. The people who give us money who we're working for were killing and skinning. And then I sort of forgot and went on with my career and actually practiced some of that language, telling clients, we'll help you capture market share. You want to crush your competition? Let's do this. And it's rather predatory. Think about it. And in the book, I take a description of war that the U.S. Marine Corps used and substitute, take out the war words and substitute business words to see how it fits. And I invite readers to say, how does this strike you? Is this appropriate to talk about bending customers to our will, subduing them, dominating them, and so on? So that was the second piece, the predatory language of business. It's so pervasive, we don't even think twice about it. And the third was my own spiritual journey of many, many years. I've been meditating for decades and on this path. And you and I talked about that earlier, that we're running into a lot of people who want more fulfillment and happiness and to be themselves and are pursuing or integrating spirituality into their work instead of having a separate, that's a spiritual me, this is the business me of unifying them. I think Oscar Wilde said, be you, everyone else is already taken, something to that effect. And so it was seeing the unity in all of us and in everything, the combination of that, the disliking the predatory language of business and seeing there must be an alternative to this hating of customers and this more warlike mentality. So those all came together to this book, The Amari Wave, Amari's Latin for Love. And the wave signifies that there's a lot of movement and energy in this. A lot of companies are doing this. I mentioned Trader Joe's, Southwest Airlines, USAA, Patagonia, Costco, and many more, and a lot more that aren't familiar names or essentially putting love to work. Well, this is going to be a fun conversation. There's a question that just popped in my mind that I'm going to ask. What's the difference between those that are creating the wave And those companies that just want to ride the wave of Amare? Hmm. I think of it in terms of skill sets. There's those of us who are pioneers and like to create and be early stage innovators and build something from nothing. And there's others whose skills and whose orientations are more, let me get on something that's working and grow with it and feed into it. 
and put my creative skills into that stage of things. It's like in the Hindu tradition, there's three main deities. One is the deity of creating, a deity of sustaining, and there's also a deity of destroying, hmm. named Shiva. In our culture, we, I think, devalued destroying, say, like in the recession, we wouldn't let things that were broken fall apart. We had to kind of glue them together. So I think there's people and organizations that they want to be first to market, the early adopters. We have lots of labels for them and want to create and take the risk that go with it, goes with it and reap the rewards that go with it. And others who are more ready and more comfortable to say, I want to get on something that's known and proven and ride that success and contribute to it along the way. Maybe this is my cynicism and skepticism coming out, or maybe it's just the experience I've had, that there've been some that come along to ride the wave that are somewhat disingenuous in their intent to ride the wave, but they see the wave is so popular that they feel they have to use love or amare or they're going to be left behind, but it's not really coming from their heart. There are those folks and there are companies like that. Two perspectives on that. One is sometimes we need to change our behavior before we change our beliefs. So my hope is for companies that come on board through that path, the experience that they have uplifting and the connecting and the fulfillment will lead them to question their thinking and their values and say, maybe there's something to this. Let me understand this better. And then there's a match between their behaviors and beliefs and values. On the other hand, there will be companies who are exclusively opportunistic and say, yeah, we want to hype this. We want to get credit for being in vogue and on the cutting edge and so on, and we'll ride this till the next wave comes. And so there is a lack of alignment there. And I think that is just natural when change happens. It's one of the motivations, not the most desirable, but it is a motivation for coming on board. If the outcome is to grow the wave and bring more attention and resources to it, then all for the good. Thank you for the answer. It, again, it gets me thinking, and this is a conversation I've had with some friends for a long time. Do you behave your way into a new set of beliefs or believe your way into a new set of behaviors? And I go, yes. <laughs> right. Some people do either, right? And one's not right or the other is wrong. It's just that's the path some people choose. So we want to believe that everybody will be affected by this, whether they've started from a genuine hunger or whether they are just trying to ride the wave, which leads me to ask this question. And as I was reading your book, I believe you wrote something that got me thinking that I believe that like me, you believe everyone listening has experienced amare or love in action in some organization. What is it that we might experience that you would describe as love in action? What are some of those things that you go, Ah, there really is something different about this company. Yes. Well, first, let me define what I mean by love. In writing this book, I want to be pretty rigorous about what love means. There's a famous song my parents used to sing when I was a kid called Love is a Many Splendored Thing. (laughs) And the problem with that is if I'm not operationalizing what I mean by this core construct of love, then how will people know what I'm talking about? So I define love very simply as energy that uplifts and connects. 
energy that uplifts and connects. That's so good. Energy that uplifts and connects. And it's also very tweetable. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. An example, I walk into one of my favorite grocery stores, Trader Joe's. Not everywhere in the country, but pretty well known. Trader Joe's has an incredible following. People who are crazy about it will go, will drive way out of their way to go there. People who live in other cities or states who plead with Trader Joe's, open a store by us, open a store by us. They have quite a following. When I go into Trader Joe's, one of the reasons I love Trader Joe's, and I would say I love Trader Joe's. So that's one of the signs if people will attach that word to a brand. That's that notion of belonging. When I walk into Trader Joe's, I feel a little bit uplifted. And specifically, I mean, in my body, I feel good. I feel a little smile on my face. And I think, yeah, I enjoy being here. And I feel this sense of connection of, you know, these are kind of my kind of people, a little bit offbeat, all wearing their Hawaiian shirts, and they're happy. And so it feels good to be there. And I feel a connection with the people there. Okay, yeah, it's kind of my tribe. It's only a grocery store, but still I have that sense. That they enjoy working there. That's my yeah, experience, that. right? Nobody looks like the taskmaster is watching over them to make sure they're happy with customers. They're just genuinely happy. They are. And the classic example of that, the classic showing of that is you walk up to someone's stocking shelves at Trader Joe's and say, can you direct me to the romaine lettuce? or the almond milk, or whatever it is, they'll stop what they're doing, they'll walk you over, pick it up, and hand it to you. That doesn't happen to most stores, and they do it with a smile. Not like you're bothering me, it's over there on aisle six, find it yourself, but they're happy to do that. So from a customer point of view, I feel love for a company, that uplifting, connecting feeling. From an employee perspective, the people there seem happy, as they can't create that energy of love if they're not feeling it themselves. There would be a disconnect. So that the employees are well taken care of, they're well paid, they're treated well. That's the first principle, what I call the Amare way. The method of doing this is to treat people well, the golden rule. And another sign of that is a show of gratitude. You start at the outset of this podcast is there seems they're really genuinely happy that I'm there as a customer, and I get that feeling through all my interactions. I have the same experience when I deal with USAA, a financial services company, and they end every conversation. Thank you for trusting us. Wow. So there's lots of ways to know it and feel it, and it can happen with online companies too. There's one called Chewy's. My wife uses our pet food, and the extraordinary lengths they go to to make sure she and other customers are happy are amazing with their return policy, their rapid shipping of food in urgent situations. And so there's lots of signs of love and business. And what I want to stress, Kevin, is it doesn't matter if anyone calls it love. Trader Joe's doesn't use that word. On the other hand, Southwest Airline does. I don't want people to get hung up on, I mean, we have to use the word love, that four-letter word at work. I said, no, you, don't. you can call it whatever you want. It's that energy that uplifts and connects, simple as that. I love that, Moshe. And for me, and I tweeted something on this and posted something on this on Valentine's Day, what Shakespeare nailed it to me, a rose, 
by any other name would still smell as sweet, right? It doesn't matter what you call it. If you are uncomfortable, and this is part of why you called the book The Amare Wave. For some people, they are not comfortable with the language of love. They're comfortable with the concepts of love, but they've not yet crossed that bridge to use the language of love. And you and I are saying, we don't care. We don't care what you call it. Just do it. You know, do the Nike thing. Just do love. Call it whatever you want to call it. Just love. Exactly. Exactly. Along those lines, there's a popular book called, I think it's called The Five Love Languages. Gary Chapman. Yes. Yeah. Great book. And they wrote a business version of it, but there they changed it to the five languages of appreciation. They made the choice. It said, the word love is going to push too many buttons. Let's use appreciation. So that's another path. And like you said, as long as people are doing it, that's what counts. Yeah. Okay. So with awareness and appreciation, you just use the word appreciation, with awareness and appreciation that this is the Higher Purpose podcast, I want to invite you in to explore the connection you see between higher purpose and amare or love. Hmm. Well, getting on purpose, specifically a higher purpose, is one of the seven principles of the amare way, that method of implementing this. And I think it's absolutely critical. In fact, it would be any organization would be very hard pressed to do this, to put love to work without being dedicated to a higher purpose. Mm. Why? Because if there's no higher purpose, then it's all simply transactional. It's all about business as a source of money. And that creates this cycle that I consider not particularly virtuous. It can be profitable, but not virtuous of just spinning in that loop of let's do what we do, do our work, make what we make, sell what we sell, service what we service and so on and make money. And it's just that loop that there's no connection with the greater good. And the the question the Simon Sinek start with why, why are we doing this? And my contention is no business exists to make money. Hmm. No business exists to make money. Making money is critically important. As one person, she was a founding member of a large healthcare system, said, no margin, no mission. Right. And I believe that. We need money. And I hope all your listeners will make a lot of money. The more, the better. They can improve their lives and other people's lives that way. So this is not about decrying money or saying money is evil. I am saying very explicitly, money is good. For your listeners, the more, the better. And this is a path to get there and connecting with the higher purpose is a key to achieve that. Yeah, I realized some time back, and that's why this podcast is called The Higher Purpose Podcast. Making money can be a purpose for some organizations, right? They exist to make money. Years ago, I was in partnership discussions with a potential partner very early in my business. And I knew there was a disconnect, Moshe. I just couldn't figure it out. And then there came this day when they were really pushing us to sign a contract, sign a contract. And I said, you know, I really just want to understand what is it that motivates you when you get up in the morning and come to work? What is it that's the purpose you're pursuing? And they did say, they thought about it, said, we've never thought about this before, but we genuinely believe our purpose is to make as much money as possible. I'm like, wow, okay, thank you for saying that. But that 
explains why you and I are not meant to be partners because that's not what motivates me first thing in the morning. What motivates me first thing in the morning is how much difference can we make today? How can we bring meaning and enrichment to the people we serve and money be the outcome of that, not the input for it, right? So that's why we call this the Higher Purpose Podcast. So thank you for just indulging me in making that connection. But I saw it come up several times in your book. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm reading a guy that speaks my language. Now, talking about words, I want to ask you this. I saw something in your book about words and actions in an Amare way company, words and actions are consistent with values. Let's explore that a moment. I was talking with a friend recently who was telling me he's an executive in a large sales organization and was so frustrated with his work in this company. He said, I go into the boardroom and there's all these signs, teamwork, integrity, and so on. And those words show up in the annual report, and it might be when you walk into the company building, you'll see them on the wall and so on. So the right words are used that are supposed to express values, but those are not lived values. Because then it's at work, it's let's squeeze our suppliers, let's screw our customers. That's, those words aren't actively said, but it's the undercurrent that everybody knows. Some will whisper about, but most will just hunker down and do the work. And so there's a disconnect there. So what I'm talking about is alignment between what people believe, what people say, and what they do. And when we were preparing for this conversation, Kevin, you talked about your listeners. Most of your listeners are already there in line with this stuff about putting love to work. They've heard several podcasts about love and business in this last month, and they're probably nodding their heads and saying, yes, we believe this. And even those of us who believe it, sometimes it's hard for us to practice it because yeah. the culture, the broader culture we're in, doesn't always reward that. There's a saying I quote a lot in my book from Plato. It's what is honored in a country is cultivated there. Mm. And I shift the words to say what is honored in a company is cultivated there. If what is honored in your company is making as much money as fast as you can at any cost, regardless of how negatively it might affect other people, then that's what people will do. Right. If what is honored is achieving a higher purpose, like in Patagonia, the focus is on let's save the environment and financial metrics are translated into purpose metrics in a beautiful way. So then that being a steward of the environment is what is cultivated because that's what's honored. And fundamentally, I think it's critical to be aligned for us to be whole in ourselves. Again, like we talked about earlier, we're not separate people at home and at work. Some of our actions suggest that we can live that way. And as human beings, we have the capacity to tolerate a lot of dissonance. So we have the ability to be that way, to act as different people, but something inside us knows. And we can ignore that feeling like, I am not aligned. This is not right but I'll ignore it because I'm making a lot of money or I'm not aligned. This is not right. And I'm going to do something about it. So I encourage strongly people to move toward alignment by looking at what they say and what they do and what they believe in. Is there a match? 
Okay, this comes later in the book, but I was already thinking it, and then you just kind of mentioned it. So let's invite that into this conversation now, and that's what to do when there is a mismatch. I know, I know, Moshe, that from conversations, recent real-time conversations with people that are listening, I know that people are navigating mismatches. They were attracted to an organization or a company that gave lip service to values, and they thought, oh, we have found a place where we can be aligned. Then they show up there, and they're feeling the dissonance. They're seeing discordance. They are hearing one set of language, and they see the words on the walls, but what they experience is something else. And you get into this later in the book. How do you manage a mismatch? It's difficult. It is challenging, and it's different if someone's at the top of the company in a leadership role, if someone's in the middle of the company or someone's at the lower end. There's still actions people can take. So starting with the top of the company, if you're a leader in a company, the first step is to acknowledge the mismatch. And the mismatch can be on purpose, and this would be more of a malicious organization to say, we're going to say these words to entice the best people to join us. We know they're not true, but we're going to say them anyway. There, in that context, that's difficult to change because there's an acknowledgement of dishonesty and misalignment and saying, we don't care. Intentional deceit, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that's about as far away as you can get from what I talk about is the Amari way. And that's difficult to change. So then it's either to say, I will choose to stay at this organization and find alignment in other areas of my life. And I will confront my colleagues, the other leaders of this company, and push for change. And the change may happen and it may not. And if it doesn't, then I need to assess and say, how long will I stay here for? I had a good friend, physician executive, who was at a very well-known hospital system. And the leadership change. They had the mindset, we need more quote-unquote business people at the top. And they brought in people and it was all about money. And this was a children's hospital, of all things. And the conversations totally shifted from being about care and patient outcomes to being about money and maximizing revenue at any cost. So they lost their humanity. And for this physician who'd been at it for 30, 40 years, he was very disheartened. He knew he wasn't in a position to change the culture. So he said, I'll fill that in in other parts of my life. And that's what he did through his hobbies. He was on a spiritual path as well, meditating, yoga, and all that stuff. So he chose to put up with it. And that's one way to go. For people in the middle of the company or or lower down, they can make change within their units. And some of the starting points is instead of starting with the very tough challenge of We have to change our culture. Remember, culture exists to not change. Culture exists to keep things as they are, to say, this is it. This is what we're in. And it becomes invisible. It's just the way. So culture inherently resists change. That's the value of it. It's a stable way of being. So instead of taking on a difficulty like changing culture, it's starting small and asking questions like, would you say we love our customers and have a conversation about that? And do our customers love us? Or I wonder if I can get my colleague over there to smile. 
What if I say something kind? What if I express gratitude? It could be as simple as that. I'm going to express gratitude three times a day. And then that'll become contagious and others will do it and so on. So there's ways to make small change that can ramp up into calling the culture question at the right time. And that can mitigate some of the downside of a mismatch. But ultimately, people need to decide, am I going to change it, get in there and change it and put energy into that? Am I going to accept it as it is and fulfill myself in other parts of life? Or am I going to do something in the middle and take incremental steps within my smaller unit to make things better? Okay, there's another mismatch that I want to ask about. And unfortunately, it's one I've experienced. And I'm guessing you may have experienced it as well. That's when our actions do not match our aspirations. We have a bad day. We have a bad moment. And our lesser self acts out. Has that ever happened to you? Only about a million times. So what do we do then? I mean, that's not this chronic mismatch that you're talking about, and it's not cultural, and it's not systemic. It's just, hey, I blew it. I didn't live up to my value. I didn't live up to Amari. What do I do when that happens? One is to not be hard on yourself. Yeah. It's part of the human condition. We all do that. So you can make that statement, I blew it. I did not live up to Amari. I didn't act in alignment with my values. And the next sentence can be, essentially, I'm a bad person. I'm a failure and so on. Or it could just be, I blew it, period. And then take a deep breath and move on. The challenge is to feed that with negative energy, and that makes it bigger and bigger. Eckhart Tolle, who wrote the book, The Power of Now, The Good Earth, and or A New Earth, and some others, talks about the idea of a pain body. Mm. So if I blew it, if I took some action that I regret, and it's not aligned with my values, I made a mistake. If I ruminate on that, I'm feeding it. It's creating this entity, he calls a pain body, but that grows bigger and bigger. So I think the key is to acknowledge it, say, how can I avoid that next time? Make amends if needed and move on. Don't keep feeding it. But make amends. And if I blew it publicly, to make amends publicly and in front of the team say, wow, I really blew it. And would you all forgive me for that? Yes. And that is an incredible show of strength and vulnerability that is a sign of a truly good leader. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, thanks for that conversation. There's more I want to have here. I'm just pausing a moment to see which way to go with this. Let me ask you this. You talked about language earlier in the very early part. You were talking about the language audit and the Skinners versus Hunters. How does Amare manifest in language and why does language matter? There's a saying by Joseph Campbell who wrote, who wrote about the hero's journey and other well-known books. If you want to change the world, change the metaphor. Language is really powerful. If you think about it, whenever any of us have thoughts, we can express it in, we can express those thoughts in many, many ways. Anyone who's been in any kind of relationship knows the power of words to affect a relationship. It can build trust, it can erode trust, it can excite people, it can shut down people, and so on. So language is 
incredibly powerful. We all know that we have that experience every day. Like right now in this conversation, we're each choosing our words to convey certain things carefully. And in Amare, the idea is to use the language of love. So again, I come back to the definition, love is energy that uplifts and connects, is the language I'm using, uplifting and connecting. This does not mean be fake, be inauthentic. It does not mean, for example, if I'm a manager and you're an employee I'm managing and you make some mistakes, I'm not going to say, oh, it's okay. That's fine. That's untrue. I'll say we have a problem here. You made some mistakes. Let's talk about this. We need to fix this. And it might be terminating your employment if it happens again and again and we haven't been able to remedy it and so on. So we need to be real and deal with what is. The Amari language is not always, quote unquote, nice. It's real. And again, it's moving away from the predatory language that conveys we own our customers to we are partners, we are collaborators. Collaboration is part of the ABCs of the Amari way, authenticity, belonging, collaboration, treating people as collaborators. And the language comes from the principles like treat people well, inspire connection, prioritize relationships, and so on. If listeners can take one thing from this, if they recognize the words they use and say, are these words violent? Are they predatory? Are there substitute words I can use instead? That will be huge. So, Moshe, I'm going to self-disclose a word that has come to my attention after reading your book. As I was reading your book, and I was like, wow, because I've thought about this language before because I've heard it, the healthcare system. I was introduced to them years ago and how they sought to eradicate all of that language out of their vocabulary. But even as I was writing questions for this conversation and another conversation that I was having yesterday, I found myself using a word that I've used a lot, and that's verses, verses, verses. Well, I guess what got me thinking about this was you're talking in your book about the military language and how we have bullet points in presentations. And so many times bullet points for me have included this verses. And I'm thinking, huh, there's another way to say that without making these two concepts that I am seeking to compare or contrast as opposing forces. So that's what that you've influenced me this week to think about every time I'm starting to write or type verses. Is there another way that better communicates the contrast I'm seeking to make? Yes. Yeah. And I appreciate that example. And things like that, for you, it's verses. For others, it's, I mentioned before, crush the competition. We need to go into the war room. We need a plan of attack. Those words are so common in business. And again, if people can change one or two of those, that's powerful. Now, I wrote about the healthcare system you referred to, SSM Health. They're nonprofit Catholic healthcare system and sister Mary Jean Ryan was their CEO who said, we need to change this. We see the effects of violence in our emergency rooms every day. We don't need to perpetuate that through our language in a caring Mm -hmm. setting. 
Now, that doesn't mean use words that have no emotional impact. One of the projects I'm working on, I invite your listeners to join in and collaborate, is to come up with a thesaurus Mm. of sorts. So instead of saying versus, I would use this word. Instead of saying battle plan, I would say this. And I give some examples in the book, but we need to build a whole different language of business that becomes the norm. Okay, I realize our time is getting away from us. We've talked about the Amare Way philosophy. You've shared a couple of the points. Can you walk us through the seven real quickly? Sure. So people aren't sitting here with just a piece or two, but we've shared all seven principles of the Amare Way. Sure, sure. The first one is treat one another well. It's the golden rule. The second is inspire connection. So in everything we do, we're looking to strengthen that human connection. The third, tied to this podcast particularly, is get on purpose, especially higher purpose, and recognizing that making money is not a higher purpose. So get on purpose. The fourth, kind of the counter to that, is respect money. There's a chapter later about worshiping money, which is not what I'm advocating, it's respect money and celebrate money for the good it can do. The fifth one is choose love over fear. A lot of companies are fear-driven. It ends it often shows up as arrogance or this fighting energy, and it's choosing love, uplifting, and connecting over fear. The sixth one is taking the long view. Amazon was a good example of this in its early years where Jeff Bezos would say, we're not going to make money for a long time, and wrote a famous letter to the shareholders and their first year saying, this is our orientation. We are taking a long view. If that's not aligned with your priorities, then we're not a good match for you. And last one that ties them all together is prioritize relationships to recognizing that the core of business is relationships. Oh, Moshe, thank you. This is just such a delightful conversation. I have a feeling we're going to have another one sooner rather than later, but I want to invite you to a couple of other things before we go here. It just wouldn't be complete without a little bit on the ABCs because I love the ABCs and knowing the B we just talked about last week on the podcast, if you're listening to these in order, but walk us through the ABCs quickly. Sure. So the ABCs are, I consider the pillars of the practice of this. We have the principles to guide us, what to do, and the ABCs are how to do it, where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. A stands for authenticity. So authenticity is important to build trust. We need to be ourselves, bring our whole selves into work, be who we are, tell the truth, and so on. Authenticity builds trust. B is for belonging, the subject of your recent podcast. And the sense of belonging is so important, and that comes from this shared identification. Like I mentioned Trader Joe's earlier. I would say I'm a Trader Joe's kind of person. I'm a USAA kind of person. I'm a Patagonia kind of person, whatever. I'm melding my personal identity with that of a brand. To companies, that is gold. That is where the alignment is real and it comes through with the sense of belonging. And C is for collaboration. It's recognizing that every time a customer gives you money, that is, it's not just a transaction, that is an act of collaboration. They're saying, I support you. And in exchange, you, the company, are saying, we're providing you something of value. And that cycle of collaboration grows to the point where customers, employees, 
all stakeholders are involved as co-creators of the success of the company. So ABC, authenticity, belonging, and collaboration. Okay. Thank you. Before we go, what do you hope happens as a result of the Amare wave spreading? Hmm. I hope that more and more companies will have the courage to put love to work. They may say, we are an Amare company. They can call it whatever they want. I don't care. I care that they do this. And that we live in a kinder world where people feel more valued. They feel better about themselves. There's less fighting. And there is greater prosperity as a result. I think customers will be more selective and say, I'm only going to give my business to these companies that help me feel uplifted and I feel a connection with. That's where I'm going to live my values by having essentially portfolios of, of Amare companies. And I hope companies will seek to treat their employees well. That's where it starts. And underneath that actually is where the leaders of the company need to love themselves. Because again, we can't give what we don't have. So it starts from the inside and spreads outward. So more and more companies are saying, we do love our customers and yeah, they love us too. And so we're shifting our world into this. There's one chapter in the book called Business and Evolution of Consciousness, that we're shifting into a new epoch, a new time away from the 10,000 plus years of fighting into one that's kinder and we all have greater degrees of success. That's what I want from this wave growing. I share that dream and vision with you, Moshe. So is there something else that you want to say to wrap up this conversation and kind of put a bow on it for now? Well, two things come to mind. One is a profound thank you to you for creating this thing called Higher Purpose Podcast. And you've had so many guests on that are advancing that idea. And if it's one listener at a time or thousands of listeners at a time who move in that direction, that is an incredible contribution. So I'm really grateful to you for doing this and living this and having that alignment in your beliefs and words and actions. So you're a living testament to this idea. And second, I want to invite your listeners who are on this path or want to be or have ideas, even if they don't know exactly how to move forward, any interest in this to get in touch with me and reach out. You can do that through my email, Moshe, M-O-S-H-E at researchworks, one word, plural.com, through Kevin. I think people could reach me. We need to grow this community. And it is certainly a co-creative effort. We're all in this together. So I hope people will take one small step, do one thing different today in their work, and will help advance and grow this wave of love and business. Wow. What a beautiful way to conclude this conversation. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Kevin. What a joy to share this time together with you and Moshe today. I'm humbled by what Moshe said at the close of our conversation, and I'm grateful for the opportunities and relationships that this podcast makes possible. 
If you know me, you know I love the definition of amare and love that Moshe embraces. Energy that uplifts and connects. Now, that's a wave we want to see swell and expand. It's also no surprise to you that I love the ABCs of Amare that Moshe shared. Authenticity, belonging, and collaboration. I'm fairly confident those resonate with you as well. As always, I'm wondering what's lingering in your heart and mind from today's conversation, and I'll tell you how you can share that with me in a moment. I want to echo the invitation Moshe extended to us all. Do one thing different. Take one small step that we can co-create around the globe by doing that. Enough of you respond that you know I'm serious when I say I enjoy hearing from you. I'd love to hear what you do to share Love at Work. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text me at 678-744-5111. Be light and love wherever your journey on the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life takes you today. And thank you for being a difference maker. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together.